Welcome to the National Vaccine Information Center's Vaccine Science and Policy podcast series. These podcasts are from previously recorded and referenced commentaries and articles produced by MVIC, a charitable nonprofit organization. My name is Barbara Lowe Fisher. My son was injured by DPT vaccine in 1980, and this is a reference commentary brought to you by the nonprofit National Vaccine Information Center that can be read on NVIC.org. As the National Vaccine Information Center prepares to host the three-day, three-night, fifth international public conference on vaccination that will be broadcast online October 16 through 18, 2020, the theme we have chosen is protecting health and autonomy in the 21st century, because at no time in modern history has it been more important for all of us to take a stand and do just that. This year, the orchestrated actions by governments around the world to restrict or eliminate civil liberties in response to the emergence of a new coronavirus has been unprecedented. And it has had profound effects on the global economy and on the physical, mental, and emotional health of billions of people. By mid-September 2020, there were about 29 million cases of the new severe acute respiratory syndrome SARS-CoV-2 reported worldwide with about 925,000 associated deaths. The United States, the third most populated country in the world at 330 million people, had recorded over 7 million cases and 198,000 deaths, with an estimated 598 deaths per million people, which is a higher death rate per million people than Sweden where health officials have refused to order masking or lockdown of the country and allowed the population to acquire natural herd immunity to the virus. According to the World Health Organization, the overall infection mortality rate for the new SARS coronavirus is about 0.6%. Although some scientists say it is lower, while others estimate it can be as high as 1 to 2% in some parts of the world. Compared to Ebola with a 50% mortality rate, or smallpox that killed 30%, or tuberculosis that still is a deadly disease killing 20 to 70%, or diphtheria at 5 to 10%, or the 1918 influenza pandemic with a 2.5% mortality rate, COVID-19 is near the bottom of the infectious diseases mortality scale with a less than 1% infection mortality rate in most countries. Those at highest risk for complications and death include the elderly and those with one or more poor health conditions. The CDC recently reported that only 6% of COVID-19 related deaths were solely due to coronavirus infection and 94% of the people who died also had influenza or pneumonia heart, lung, or kidney disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, or another underlying poor health condition. Most studies suggest it is rare for children to suffer complications and die from COVID-19. But seven months after the World Health Organization declared a coronavirus pandemic, and public health officials persuaded lawmakers to turn the world upside down, a lot of people are asking questions. And so are doctors who disagree with each other about the facts. Questions like, 
Where did the new respiratory virus come from? The most popular narratives about the mutated coronavirus is that it either jumped out of a bat or another animal in a Chinese wet food market or escaped out of a biohazard lab in 2019. But scientists continue to argue about which scenario is more likely. And this question, if I wear a cloth fa face mask, does it really prevent me from getting infected with or transmitting COVID-19? There is an ongoing debate in the medical community about whether it is a good idea for all healthy children and adults to wear cloth masks when they leave their home. In March 2020, the U.S. Surgeon General ordered the American public to stop buying and wearing masks because, quote, they are not effective in preventing the general public from catching coronavirus and actually can increase the spread of coronavirus which was the position of the World Health Organization. But in April, the CDC walked back its do not mask order and urged all healthy Americans to voluntarily wear homemade cloth face coverings when entering public spaces. In June, the World Health Organization was continuing to say that, quote, at the present time, the widespread use of masks everywhere is not supported by high quality scientific evidence and there are potential benefits and harms to consider. Masks on their own will not protect you from COVID-19." But by June, a number of U.S. state governors and local governments had mandated face mask wearing and an epidemic of mass shaming had begun, which led to public protests against masking law mandates. In August, the CDC doubled down and expanded face masking directives to include all children over the age of two, while the World Health Organization warned that children under the age of six should not wear masks, but children over age 12 should. So confusion reigns. Some scientists are saying that if all healthy people are forced to wear face masks, it will not stop the coronavirus pandemic and gives a dangerous and false illusion of safety. While other scientists are demonizing the refusers, alleging that people who are refusing to mask up are, quote, sociopathic and have lower levels of empathy. About 30 U.S. states requiring masking for young children and adults who enter public spaces. And some states are leveling steep fines of up to $1,000 or threatening jail time for anyone who fails to comply. Washington state has made not wearing a mask in public a misdemeanor crime. And Central Texas officials say they wish they could put people in prison for refusing to wear a mask. More than 50 countries in the world now require people to cover their faces when they leave home, and some do fine and imprison people who go outside without wearing a mask. So what about getting tested for COVID-19? The CDC says that people should get tested if they have COVID-19 symptoms or have been in contact with someone who has been diagnosed with the infection. There is also an antibody test to identify whether or not you have been infected in the past. But lab tests are not always reliable. And people are asking this logical question. If I get a lab test, will it accurately identify if I am currently infected 
or had been infected with COVID-19 in the past. Unfortunately, it's not clear how accurate any of these tests are, especially the antibody test for past infection, because the presence of antibodies may not be the only way to measure immunity. The best guess is that the range of reported false negative results for the nasal swab test is between 2 and 50%, and the reported false negative results for the antibody blood test is up to 30% depending upon when, during, or after the infection testing is performed. In July, a state lab in Connecticut admitted that 90 out of 144 people tested during a 30-day period, most of them nursing home residents, were inaccurately informed they were infected because of faulty, false positive lab tests. In August, 77 football players in the National Football League were given false positive test results when after retesting, all the tests came back negative. People are also wondering about what happens after they get COVID-19. Asking this question, if I recover from COVID-19, will I only get temporary immunity or will I have long-term immunity against reinfection? The CDC says it is unknown how long immunity lasts or whether you can get the new coronavirus infection twice. However, last spring, researchers found that out of 68 uninfected persons, the blood from one third of them contained helper T cells that recognized the mutated SARS coronavirus. They concluded the presence of these defensive helper T cells gives evidence for some residual immunity that may have been produced after common cold infections caused by other types of coronaviruses. This, the scientists said, quote, bodes well for the development of long-term protective immunity. Another important study was published in the medical literature in August, providing evidence for robust memory T-cell immune responses in people who had recovered from even mild or asymptomatic cases of COVID-19, but had no detectable virus-specific antibodies. If people can have strong immune responses without symptoms and traditional antibody tests for proof of immunity don't apply to COVID-19, public health officials may be underestimating the extent of population-level herd immunity that already exists in the U.S., where there have been more cases reported than anywhere else. While doctors debate the science, it is becoming clear that the response to the new coronavirus infection by government health officials has been a public relations disaster. The anxiety, fear, and chaos created by regulations instituted by most governments after the declaration of a COVID-19 pandemic this year has torn the fabric of societies and affected public opinion about public health laws and vaccination. Now that people are being told that there is one, and only one, simple solution to resolving the crisis and getting back to normal, that is the only way we can take off our masks and touch, hug, kiss, or come close to each other again, is for every person living in every country to get injected with one of the liability-free COVID-19 vaccines being fast-tracked to market. 
In April, World Health Organization officials at the United Nations launched a global initiative, quote, to end the COVID-19 pandemic, proclaiming that no one is safe until everyone is safe. By May, they were warning that if every person in the world does not get injected with a COVID-19 vaccination, the virus may never go away. The World Health Organization, US government and lawmakers in the European Union, along with wealthy and politically powerful non-governmental organizations like the Gates Foundation, Gavi the Vaccine Alliance, and Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations have given the pharmaceutical industry tens of billions of dollars to develop and fast track experimental coronavirus vaccines to market and promote their universal use. At the same time, governments have given pharmaceutical companies a liability shield from lawsuits when COVID-19 vaccines injure or kill people. The hard sell is on, but a lot of people are not buying it. Every poll taken this year has revealed that between 40 and 70% of people living in the US and Europe don't plan to get a COVID-19 vaccine when it's licensed. Populations in developed countries are resisting the siren call for sol solidarity as well, as doubt about COVID-19 vaccines is becoming more common in developing countries too. Apparently the pushback by a wary public has taken government officials by surprise. Apparently, they were banking that the economic and social deprivation, fear and chaos surrounding lockdowns would produce a bull market for experimental messenger RNA and DNA COVID-19 vaccines using technology that never has been licensed for humans. It is widely acknowledged now that a solid two-thirds of Americans or more will just say no to getting injected with a vaccine containing lab-altered parts of a new coronavirus that scientists admit they still don't know much about. Vaccines that preliminary clinical trials have revealed may well cause more than just a few minor reactions. A frustrated top U.S. health official has name-called Americans who refuse to go along with the program, calling them anti-science and anti-authority. The truth is, people in this country and many others just don't have confidence in the quality and quantity of the science or government health officials they are being told to trust. Angry that a growing number of people are reluctant to roll up their sleeves for a vaccine that is being rushed to market at warp speed. Public health officials, billionaires, Silicon Valley technocrats, doctors, attorneys, and bioethics professors, and politicians are beating the drum for swift enactment of no exceptions mandatory vaccination laws as soon as COVID-19 vaccines are licensed. Already, some cheerleaders at leading universities are banging that drum for approving and using experimental COVID-19 vaccines even before testing is done and are calling for young, healthy people to be the first to get the vaccine because it's their civic duty to protect everyone else. They warn that, quote, herd immunity may not be achieved if people refuse to take the coronavirus vaccine and say that in order to keep society safe, laws must be passed to threaten and coerce you and your minor children to get vaccinated 
or face crippling social sanctions that will effectively take away your liberty and destroy your life. This summer, huge public demonstrations defending freedom in Berlin, London, Paris, and Copenhagen saw tens of thousands of citizens gather to protest masking and other oppressive coronavirus lockdown policies, which have severely restricted normal physical contact between people, caused widespread unemployment, and harmed their physical, mental, and emotional health. Like in Europe, people living in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand also are resisting months of social distancing policies that have eliminated fundamental human rights such as freedom of speech and assembly. The U.S. has seen similar but smaller public demonstrations opposing forced masking, social distancing, and lockdown laws, and defending freedom in Virginia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, California, and other states, as record numbers of Americans struggle with unemployment, the destruction of small middle-class businesses, mortgage defaults and bankruptcy filings, steep increases in anxiety and depression, drug and alcohol addiction, child and spousal abuse, and divorce. The punishing social sanctions being talked about if you refuse a COVID-19 vaccination are likely to be enforced using government-operated electronic tracking systems linked to digital immunity passports that require you to prove you are immune to the new SARS coronavirus before you're allowed to work in an office building or enter other public spaces. These social sanctions for failure to vaccinate may closely resemble the types of social interaction restrictions enforced in the U.S. and other countries over the past year. In the U.S., most public health laws, including vaccine laws, are enacted by the states, while the federal government makes vaccine use recommendations and can mandate vaccines for people crossing national or state borders. Local city and county governments also can impose their own public health regulations. That's why some states and cities have seen very restrictive COVID-19 pandemic masking and lockdown regulations, and others have been more open. So whether or not you will be punished for refusing to get a COVID-19 shot next year primarily will depend and be determined by your state's governor and the representatives who have been elected to make laws in your state capital. Depending upon where you live and the political philosophy of the majority of representatives in your state legislature, after the COVID-19 vaccine is licensed by the Federal Food and Drug Administration and recommended by the Centers for Disease Control for use by all children and adults, if you refuse to get a COVID-19 shot, you could be blocked from being employed and going to work in an office, getting an education, obtaining a driver's license or passport, boarding a train or other public transportation, attending a sports game or concert, entering a store, restaurant, bar, coffee shop, or nail salon, booking an appointment with a doctor, and you could be prohibited from checking into a hospital for surgery, or visiting a family member in a nursing home, or blocked from obtaining private health insurance and Medicaid or Medicare. In other words, if you refuse to get a coronavirus vaccination, you could be subjected to the kinds of punitive social sanctions I have been predicting and publicly warning about since 1997, 
Sanctions that are already being applied to Americans who decline to get or give their children dozens of doses of CDC-recommended liability-free vaccines and already are being denied an education, medical care, and employment. Doctors and public health officials wondering why people don't trust what they say about infectious diseases and vaccination, including coronavirus and COVID-19 vaccines, only have to look in the mirror to answer the questions. Since 1982, parents of vaccinated children have been begging doctors to do the kind of science that will explain why so many highly vaccinated children who don't get measles or chickenpox anymore are stuck on sick and suffering with brain and autoimmune disorders that never go away. For four decades, we have been asking doctors and government health officials to stop sweeping casualties of inhumane one-size-fits-all vaccine policies under the rug. What we get from medical professors in universities receiving lots of money from the government and pharmaceutical companies and from doctors developing vaccines and from public health officials pushing no exceptions vaccine policies is threats, name calling, bullying and punishment if we try to exercise informed consent to vaccination. There is no other word for it but abuse. They order us to obey them but refuse to take responsibility for what happens when we obey the orders they give. They expect us to trust them and refuse to care about the victims of vaccination when the benefits do not outweigh the risks. Instead, they act to protect the power and profit-making of their business partners, the pharmaceutical industry, medical trade associations, multinational media corporations, and Silicon Valley billionaires, and leave vaccine victims to take care of themselves. What's trust got to do with it? Broken trust has everything to do with why the majority of people in the U.S. and Europe do not want to roll the dice and find out whether the odds of surviving a COVID-19 vaccination are in their favor. It is during this extraordinary time of great challenge and opportunity that MVIC is sponsoring the fifth International Public Conference on Vaccination. Our conference will create an expanded base of knowledge about vaccine science, policy, law, and ethics brought to you by more than 40 distinguished speakers who will empower you with information you need to become an effective vaccine freedom advocate. Go to mvic.org and register today for this historic conference celebrating freedom of thought, speech, and conscience and gain permanent online access to this valuable video library of information. It's your health, your family, your choice. And our mission continues. No forced vaccination, not in America. Before you take a risk, find out what it is. To learn more about vaccines, diseases, and the human right to inform consent, visit mvic.org, the website of the nonprofit charity, the National Vaccine Information Center. Since 1982, MVIC has worked to prevent vaccine injuries and deaths through public education and to secure informed consent protections in U.S. vaccine policies and laws. 
Visit mbic.org and mbicadvocacy.org to get well-referenced vaccine information that you can trust and share with your family, friends, and members of your community. It's your health, your family, your choice.